right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Well, that was weird to hear. Uh, no next word in there. So just Derek Johnson today and moving forward here on RCST. I'll address some of that in just a second here. We're going to have Scott Chasen of 24-7 Sports, Fog.net, join us in about 30 minutes from right now. Phil Steele of Phil Steele fame, Phil Steele magazine, uh, is going to join us at about 440 to talk a little KU football, Big 12 football, college football, the whole spiel with Phil Steele um, coming up at about 440. I, I start today's show for the first time as the official host of Rock Chalk Sports Talk, and I pick up right where things left off um, because I think ever since Nick took over, KU was probably picked to finish last in the Big 12. That is the case again today on my very first day. Uh, KU football in the Big 12 football preseason media poll picked last. There were 39 votes. All of them had KU at number 10. If you're wondering about the others, OU, Iowa State, Texas, Oklahoma State, TCU in order, one through five, West Virginia, Kansas State, Baylor, Texas Tech, and Kansas rounding out the bottom half there. Um, I'll be honest, this is a little bit weird for me. I've I've filled in for Nick before, and, you know, it, it's never a big deal. It's it's like you're just carrying over, trying not to crash the Ferrari, so to speak. Um, now it's all on me, right? Now if things go haywire, it's my fault. And I, I posted this on Twitter. It's This is just kind of the feeling I, I get a little bit today. Only thing bumming me out is the fact I have to live in a world without Captain America. Oh, well. That reminds me. Trainor. How does it feel? Like it's someone else's. It isn't. So that's kind of the feeling I'm getting. It's like, you know, I go from filling in to now this thing is mine and I'm going to do my best to not destroy because I, th- I think we've built a very good product here uh, with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thank you to Brian Haney for getting this all started. Thank you to Nick for bringing me along for the ride. I'm excited. Um, I'm looking forward to the challenge. I, I know there's some questions that people are still having about what the show is going to look like from here on out. I'll say this. Some things are going to be the same. Some things are going to be different. It's not possible to do the exact same show. It's it's just not. Um, but a lot of the remnants of the show, a lot will be the same. A lot of the essence of the show will be the same. We're still going to have some of our, you know, amazing and wonderful guests. You know, I think I've reached out to, I believe, everybody who comes on um, 
pretty regularly or talk to them and they're all cool with continuing to come on, which thank you all for doing that um, and being so kind to me during this process. So we're still going to have all those awesome characters coming on the show. Um, we're still going to have a fun show. Um, we're still going to talk lots of KU football, lots of KU basketball. We still are going to have RCST trivia next spring. I guess I'll announce this now. I, I am planning on doing RCST trivia for football in the summer, next summer. So we'll kind of piggyback off the basketball one. We're going to have some new segments. Like I said, there's going to be some new here. We might have some old segments. We might have some rebranded segments. But while certain things are going to change, there's still going to be a base there that this show is going to be similar. And like I said, we're going to have fun on this show. It feels a bit weird making any changes or continuing some of those segments this specific week. So um, just having to take over in the middle of the week, maybe today and tomorrow are going to be more like I am just filling in um, for a vacation. And then I guess once uh, we get to the coming weeks, maybe we'll start unveiling some of those new segments and some of the new parts about the show. But like I said, it's not going to be a complete difference. And I should also mention over the next several weeks, you're going to probably hear a few different voices that you haven't heard on this show before um, with me for the next few weeks. And eventually we plan on having somebody in with me long term that hopefully we can kind of become accustomed with what you're listening to. Um, but we're going to have a, a bit of a rotation. Um, Richie Boswell, Colsey to Tower, and uh, David Conover, who's actually with me today. So um, we'll be able to hear from some different voices and eventually we'll pin something down. But I think what matters most is that hopefully I can continue to entertain you. Hopefully I can continue to inform you. Uh, hopefully I can continue to be completely wrong on some of the uh, picking against the spread in the fall for, for some of the football games and just watch Brandon McAnderson run all over me there. Um, but like I said, I will continue to work for you, and, and hopefully this just continues to be an entertaining show. So we're going to take a quick time out here. When we come back, we're going to get to actual sports talk here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, again, Scott Chasen going to join us in about 25 minutes on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. Uh, you know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash, they are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh man, where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them, unlimited guest service and most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN's Rock Shock Sports Talk. Derek Johnson here. 
And uh, we're joined now by Scott Chasen of 247sportsfog.net for the second straight day. Um, we didn't really talk any sports yesterday, though, with Scott being Nick's final show. And I believe it was, I don't even remember. It feels like everything's bleeding together. If it was Sunday, Monday, whenever. Remy Martin, Ochag, Baji both returning to KU. Um, as you look at it, it, you have four starters back for the Jayhawks and then Remy Martin. Is that your fifth starter or do you think that uh, we might see somebody else in there, a roster shakeup where maybe a guy like Christian Brown or something doesn't start? You know, I think there are a number of ways. I think there are a number of ways in different, you know, kind of configurations they could go with. And even if the starters are the same, it wouldn't shock me to see heavy, you know, rotations used with newcomers. First of all, by the way, just congratulations. It's awesome to be, uh, you know, as luck had it on your first show. And you're right, we didn't talk any sports yesterday just because Nick made it all about himself, as he uh, <laughs> often does. So thank God they forced that guy out of there. But, uh, no, I, I think the KU basketball roster, like, to me, it makes the most sense to probably return to having more shot creators and more guys who can take you off the bounce. Uh, on the court, you know, together. And, and that, you know, whether or not that means a guy like Christian Brown loses a starting spot, that doesn't mean he shouldn't play a lot of minutes. I mean, he should still probably play 25 to 30 minutes per game. He should still probably take a lot of shots. So a, a very similar role. Um, personal preference, I like having multiple kind of shot-creating guards on the court at a time. So if it were me and Joe Yesifu shows up and looks pretty good, my, you know, stylistic preference would be, hey, you know, put Remy Martin and Joe Yesifu out there. When you take one out, you go to Dewan Harris or Bobby Pettiford. And then it's really that rotation of Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, and Ochai Abaji splitting time at the three and the four and maybe you sprinkle in guys elsewhere, but that's 80 minutes to split between those three guys. You know, you can do the math on that. It's like, you know, I think like 27 minutes a game. And if you need to play a little bit um, with all three together, you can do it too. So uh, to me, um, that's kind of probably where I would go, but you know, again, it, it would not shock me if Bill self sticks with the same starters he had from a season ago, just because they're guys he knows and guys he trusts. And, you know, knowing Bill Self for a long time, he, he definitely tends to lean on what he knows and what he trusts. One thing that I'm interested in is going to be kind of the, the shot distribution. Um, we think of a lot of times if, if a player comes back to school, okay, well, maybe they go from being a 15-point-per-game guy to an 18-point-per-game guy. But you kind of look down the roster, whether it is somebody coming back to school like Remy Martin or just coming back to Kansas like Ochai, Jalen Wilson, whoever. And I wonder if really anybody is going to have a better individual season just in terms of like the total statistics, not the efficiency stuff, but the points per game, the rebounds per game, just with more players around them. I, I mean, is there almost a case to be made that because of the team that you have coming back, like if Jalen Wilson is the fourth option, I mean, isn't there a case to be made that he might have another two years with Kansas as opposed to just testing in the draft this year, coming back, then going pro? Yeah, I think that'll be the case, maybe for a few guys. Um, the distinction that I would draw, especially a guy like Jalen Wilson, is if he kind of takes that next step in terms of consistency, shooting the ball at a high clip, while you know, still being who he is, which is uh, a wing who probably has to play the four to be at his best, and you know, at the next level, probably again has to be able to stay on the court as a four man. So, you know, can he show enough defensively? Can he show enough rebounding? He was. Great at times at it last year, but 
there were definitely times where the effort, especially on the defensive end, wasn't there, or he allowed himself to get taken out of games, uh, probably, you know, just from a mental perspective on the offensive end, you know, things aren't going well, and, and so you become a little bit more disengaged. And so I think that kind of stuff becomes a lot more important, because I think you're dead on that, that like, everyone's averages are going down, including Remy Martin. Remy Martin's not coming to Kansas and averaging 20 points a game. I, I would actually be shocked. Um, if that were the case, maybe I'll be wrong about that. Maybe he'll be uber efficient, and, you know, get into the high teens. But, you know, I look at his sophomore year when he was averaging 12 and five. And to me, if Kansas hits its ceiling, I mean, you're talking about maybe 14 and five, something like that for Remy Martin. And, you know, you blend it with everyone else coming back because, you know, Ochai Abaji is going to get shots. Christian Brown is good enough to get shots. If Joe Yesifu is good enough to play, he's going to shoot. Um, a bunch of times, and you know, Jalen Coleman Land, he's going to take shots. David McCormick, he's going to take shots. So there are just so many guys. Um, you know, maybe I could see McCormick doing more offensively, especially because he didn't play a ton of minutes last year. Maybe I could see a little bit more offensively for a guy like uh, like a Jalen Wilson. But you know, at the, at the end end of the day, I do think a lot of the statistics and things they're going to look pretty balanced. They're going to look a lot more even across the board, but I also think that will be a sign that this is working and that the roster construction by Bill Self has been what he wants, that he has so many different options, so many different shot creators, and a team that's a lot more cohesive as compared to last year's team where it always felt like you know it would be a different guy, but that it needed to be a guy to step up and carry everything. I don't think that will be the case next year. Well, you lost between the guys that are gone, your Marcus Garrett's and, and the players that transferred, you lost about 500 shots off of last year's team. So over the course of 30 games, that's about 17 shots per game. And let's say Remy Martin gives you, I don't know, 10 to 12 of those. Doesn't leave yeah. you a lot much else for those other newcomers, Joe Yesifu, all the incoming freshmen, Cam Martin, so forth down the line, that I just I have a hard time really seeing I don't know. Like, I, I wonder what's going to happen. Is it just everybody's going to get shaved off, you know, another shot here or there? Does Ochai go from averaging 11.5 shots to 10 shots? Does Dave go from averaging 10 to 8, you know, where it's just a, a collective drop down? Or is it more so just going to be one guy who maybe wasn't buried last year just becomes buried? Like, how possible is it that a Jalen or a Christian Brown, all of a sudden their shots go get cut in half from like 9 to 4 or something? Because when you look at it, if Remy Martin's option one, Ochai and David McCormick might be option two and three, and then you have shooters around him. Like, I, I just feel like there's a chance that somebody we're not expecting, and I'm not saying it would be Jalen or Christian just throwing out names. There's got to be a good chance somebody we're not expecting to have a smaller role on this team will indeed have a smaller role. Yeah, I, I think the prime candidates for that, and one of them I just mentioned is a potential starter. I think Joe Yesifu is definitely a candidate for that. Because, again, he doesn't have that built-in trust. So he may be a guy that comes here and plays a lot less than you'd think. Um, Jalen coleman lands kind of the same thing as a transfer. You know, you'd think, similar to Isaiah Moss, he's going to get on the court. He's going to get shots. But we don't, you know, we don't totally know that. And then also Kansas, I, I would expect to play a lot more up-tempo. Um, and I, I do think that will result in more shots. It felt like, you know, at times last year, the offense, whether or not it was an issue of tempo, and it was actually a relatively low turnover offense, um, it, it just felt like they had to do so much to get open shots and, and to get into situations where, um, you know, that they were going to be able to, to, I guess, get their first choice, get David McCormick a post-touch, get an open three-point shot, uh, and all those things. So 
Um, just from that perspective, I, I think, you know, the KU offense will have shots to go around. But, yes, I do think guys will have to sacrifice. What do you think is more likely um, for this team next season? Do you think it would be Jalen Wilson having to come back another year or David McCormick having to come back another year? Yes, it's a good question. To me, I think there are a number of ways that you can go about it. I think with David McCormick specifically, you know, he's going to be a senior next year. And when I think about this kind of extra year for COVID eligibility, I think a lot of these guys are going to end up going to their senior year, and that's kind of going to be the end of it. And and sort of Marcus Garrett being the example of that. You know, Marcus Garrett could have come back. There could have been reasons, could have been ways he would have been better. We didn't know what the roster was going to look like. But at the same time, you know, he did his four years, and now it's time to move on. And and there are money, uh, there are opportunities to make money, um, even if you're not doing it at the NBA level. So, for a guy like David McCormick, I kind of do think this would be his last year. Um, I expect him to be a, a pretty big focal point of the offense still. And it's funny, as, as you were listing them out, the guys you think would, would lead the team or, or be that top offensive option, I was just running through my own head. And I, I don't know that David McCormick won't be number one in Bill Self's mind, uh, you know, at least coming into the season and, and you see how he does. So, you know, to me, it makes more sense that David McCormick would be done after the next year. And maybe Jalen Wilson would take two more, but you know, and, and you know this that if you have enough success and you have enough team success, uh, what usually ends up happening is guys who are, you know, maybe a little bit lower down in your roster or guys who weren't the number one or the number two guy, you know, all of a sudden they have options to go and they have, you know, they receive more attention. Um, in a totally different scenario, Svi Mikhailov got drafted because of one game. Um, what he did in his whole career made him an NBA prospect. But if he doesn't play the game he played against Duke, Magic Johnson doesn't watch that game. He doesn't call Rob Polinka, and he doesn't get taken. And there are stories like that all the time of, you know, I watched this guy do X, then I looked into him more, then we worked him out and we liked him, and, and now he's on the team. So um, just from that perspective, wouldn't shock me if both guys are gone. But I think probably slightly more likely that Jalen would have two more years instead of one. Yeah, I, I just think it's kind of an interesting conversation because I feel like most of the time in the offseason we'll get to a point before the year starts where it's like well man this guy could go pro early after this year he tested this year he could go pro after this year and we end up with a list of like five or six guys of like oh if this goes right for them they could go pro but then at the end of the day it only ends up being you know two or three of them just because there's not the opportunity for everybody so you can't necessarily go and if you figure okay Ochai's for sure gone after next year obviously uh Remy Martin's for sure gone after next year obviously um I mean, I have a hard time envisioning both McCormick and Wilson would have enough opportunity to both go. But again, to your point, if there's the team success, you win a national championship, then maybe that does end up happening. Uh, We're talking with Scott Chasen here of Fog.net 24-7 Sports. Are you worried at all about the defense for this team? Or or how much does Ochai wanting to return kind of help uh, some of those questions on that end? What I think I've learned about college defense over time and over time is that it can be good enough even with bad defenders if you have the right coach, the right system, and the right level of effort. And, you know, it's funny. I remember Remy Martin bothering Kansas on defense. I remember him actually being a pretty decent defender. But then you look at the situation he got himself into in his last couple of years where he's carrying this team, he's doing so much on offense. And, you know, all of a sudden you're not doing as much on defense. You're not you know, it's, it's not even a matter of, do I have enough energy? It's a matter of, can I focus so intensely 
you know, on everything going on in the offensive end of the court and then also the defensive end of the court and then also the team is losing and, you know, also things are stacking up and going negatively and all that stuff. And so um, I don't think he'll be a bad defender. I think Ochai Abaji will be a good defender. I think David McCormick in the right schemes can be a good defender. He showed that. He showed, you know, market improvement last year. Um, I think Christian Brown became a better defender when the Jayhawks went to uh, kind of some of their rotation stuff. Uh, rotations, not like players, but rotations like moving around the court to cover and, and help guys who help and that kind of stuff uh, late in last year. And so the, the key spots to me become the two guard, if that's a guy like Joe Yesifu or if, you know, Jalen Coleman lands, I, I think he gives effort, but I don't know that uh, he's always in the right spots or doing the right things defensively. Um, and then Jalen Wilson. I think the defense probably hinges on those two. Um, because it's a Bill Self defense and because, you know, he's good at, at communicating scouting reports with his assistants and, you know, working with guys, I expect it to be decent. I expect it to be good enough. Um, do I think it'll be one of his best? Absolutely not. It doesn't have uh, the rim protection. It doesn't have some of those same traits. You obviously lose Marcus Garrett. But it's not really a concern for me. Um, it, it's very low down on the list just from the perspective of uh, I think if you have a coach who knows how to at least put guys in the right spots, more often than not in the college game, you can figure it out and grow as a team throughout the year. And the most important thing will be is are the team defensive concepts drilled down well enough to where it makes it hard to score as compared to does Kansas have enough great individual defenders? So uh, I do think it'll be a weakness probably to start the year. I think it'll grow throughout the year, but I'm not like ultra concerned that this top three or top five KU team will fall apart really at any point because of the defense. What's the over under over the course of the season that we asked the question, should they play zone? Play Cam Martin and David McCormick next to each other, only to have it followed by Bill Self will never play zone. Yeah, I, I do think it'll happen. There will be times when they lose a game or two or three, you know, however many early they lose, um, that will be the time, right? And everyone will be, myself included, writing and talking <laughs> and asking about the defense, the defense, the defense. It's just to me, again, it kind of goes back to, like, Bill Self has talked about sometimes it's easier to communicate messages and losses than wins. And this is almost like that perfect kind of KU team that if you could script what's the best case scenario for them, probably a a hot start to the season, maybe an early loss or two in Big 12 play that allows Bill Self to, you know, get angry and, hey, you see, you know, you're coasting, you stopped improving, you know, X, Y, and Z, you got to listen. Then the team grows their winter break. It gets really good defensively and is playing at its best going into the NCAA tournament. And, well, you know, that's probably the best-case scenario for a lot of teams. This one has the, the firepower in the roster that, that it really does remind me of a few other squads that maybe they've struggled offensively, but at the very – or, excuse me, defensively. But at the very least, you know the floor is there for how good they can be just because they have the ability to beat you in so many different ways. And when I look at this KU team, I see a team that can beat you with length because it will have – you know, an infinite number of larger wings that it can throw at you that could be very difficult to deal with. Uh, I see a team that could beat you up on the inside in terms of some of the guys it has in terms of drivers, and then obviously David McCormick. I mean, he won games for Kansas last year, especially. You think what he did against Baylor, what he did against Texas Tech, what he did in the the first round of the NCAA tournament. And and then obviously I see a team that can beat you with three-point shooting, that can beat you with cutters, guys like you know, Ochai Abaji getting to the getting to the basket as a slasher or a cutter 
Um, you know, I think that's a, a viable form of offense. And then, you know, we don't even know about the freshmen. We don't even know, um, you know, are Zach Clements, KJ Adams, Bobby Pettiford, are those guys even going to play? And, and if they do, that means they're, you know, beating out veterans as well. So I, I just see so many different ways the team can beat you that I wouldn't overly be concerned about the defense. But when they do lose a game or two, I think that will be the thing that immediately pops up and the thing we're all kind of focusing on. We're talking with noted Phoenix Suns fan Scott Jason <laughs> of Fog.net here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, the Suns going into game two tonight. DeAndre Ayton has been killing it all postseason. Um, I, I don't know. I should have probably prepared you for this question because I think it would actually make a good list. Maybe we'll come back to this next week or something. Um, but, like, where would DeAndre Ayton rank on your, like, nearly a Jayhawk list? Like, in terms of best players that were nearly a Jayhawk? Oh, nearly a Jayhawk. I, at first I thought you were saying A.J. Hawk as in the former <laughs> Green Bay Packers linebacker. Derek, let me tell you, I was massively confused. He's up there. Uh, he's up there. Julius Randle is the first one that pops up of mm. the, the nearly a Jayhawk list. And, and you're right. There are probably... You could probably make an, a pretty incredible list. Uh, you could put Billy Preston on that if you wanted to. <laughs> uh, you could put all sorts of guys. But I, he's just such a unique talent, and it, it's very interesting to see guys. Um, and, and this is a conversation we had off the radio yesterday. But there are so many guys you're so sure will be good defenders in the pros uh, because they're good defenders in college. And two examples would be uh, Josh Jackson and Andrew Wiggins. That For me, at least, I was so sure. Uh, they would be great NBA defenders, and neither of them really were, especially, you know, Jackson obviously had a ton of struggles on both ends of the court. But for Wiggins, at times, he could lock in and play really good defense, especially when engaged. But at times, it was also a lot easier to score on him or get backdoor cuts or see him not be as engaged. And DeAndre Ayton was kind of the opposite, right? Like, he was a guy that, how how does he stay on the floor in the NBA? How does he play defense? And then you look at, like, year three of his development, and he is the, the anchor of a defense that's top five in the NBA in defensive efficiency. And then you see what he's done in the postseason. I mean, he's, you know, he guards Giannis, he guarded Jokic, um, he guarded Anthony Davis. I mean, he's just, uh, he's a monster. He, he plays the game differently than I think we've seen centers in a long, long time. Um, maybe, you know, I guess ever in terms of relative to era, he's not the best center in the NBA, but there is no other center other than maybe like Bam at a bio, maybe who's like that similar to him. Uh, he's, he's just a very unique guy. And, and yes, in college, uh, I think Bill Self would have got the most out of him defensively. I think scheme wise, he would have figured out ways to use him. Uh, and at KU, I, I think he would have been an absolute beast. I can't remember what team that would have been, but he would have started on whatever team that was. I think that was the Kansas team that lost to Villanova in the final four. So maybe we don't even need to do that because, I mean, would it have mattered? Would they have still not? I don't know. It's hard for me to, like, ever do hypotheticals with that team because it's just like you ran into a buzzsaw. Like, what do you want? Yeah. Uh, four around DeAndre Aiden is pretty good. That's a pretty good yeah. team. That's pretty good doke insurance for when he tore his uh, hamstring or knee or whatever happened uh, to him late in the year. But does uh, it that matter that night, time. that night that they were playing Villanova in San Antonio when they hit, I don't even remember how many threes it was, whatever, the final four record. Yeah. Like, does it well, matter that night? Well, I think the difference would have been they probably would not have been uh, either the one or the two seed, I guess, the whatever the third region was. Mm. I mean, if, if they're, you know, they have DeAndre Ayton, they probably don't lose games like 
that team lost to what Washington early in the year. You know, it's it's a whole list of hypotheticals because would they have gone through X struggles that allowed Malik Newman to come out of his shell and, and all that stuff? It really is impossible to know. You could make the argument that, uh, you know, they, they never would have beat a team like Duke if they didn't get the three-point shooting performance they did, and they never would have known that they needed to lean on things that way if they had, you know, X amount of guys. And, and maybe Bill Self would have tried to play Doak and Aiton together if that were the right team. And wow. uh, that also would have been fascinating <laughs> to see because he, he did play power forward yeah. at uh, Arizona. Take what he is now. Uh, Bill Self, uh, I mean, he would love that guy, a skilled big man who basically never misses when he gets to the middle of the floor, has soft touch on post hook, bigger than everyone, dunks offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds, runs the floor. I mean, uh, Bill Self would have an absolute field day drawing things up for a guy like DeAndre Ayton. Uh, But I guess fortunately for KU fans, the Phoenix Suns have a coach they like very much who almost just won Coach of the Year. So I don't think that position is going to be open. Man, what butterfly effects. Like, does Silvio even come? Does he stay in Maryland? Does Maryland, are they in all the trouble that KU's in now? Or is KU in trouble for DeAndre Ayton like Arizona was? That would just be wild, all the spider webs that would uh, kind of branch out. Uh, (laughs) He's Scott Chasen, 24-7 Sports, Fog.net. Scott, thank you so much for continuing to come on with me uh, now that I'm in for Nick and uh, looking forward to having more conversations with you down the road. Derek, it is the start of an era, and anyone who has listened to the show knows this for a long time. First of all, my favorite segment is literally uh, your college football playoff ranking, so I hope that continues. Uh, You're going to absolutely crush it, and thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, man. Have a good one. Yep, thanks. I'll talk to you. Phil Steele going to join us in about 20 minutes from right now here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. So 12-team playoff is coming eventually. We still don't know when, which is a little silly. Um, so I went through and looked back into all the previous years with KU and tried to figure out, like, based on different levels of expansion, how often would KU have made a college football playoff? You know, because I, I think where you are right now from a football program perspective, it, it seems impossible that KU would ever make the college football playoff. But we know... Back in 2008, you would have made it, it as long as there's a 12 team. Um, and we know there have been other good years for this program. And that's one of the cool things about this 12 team playoff. Like, there is a world now where KU could make college football playoff. The 14 playoff, maybe it was a pipe dream. Maybe even the 12 team is a bit of a pipe dream where you are now. But it's not impossible. Like, there have been turnarounds to the gigantic degree around college football time over time over time. So I'm not saying it's going to happen all the time, but the cool part about the 12-team field is that, like, I, I think KU will be in a college football playoff game in my lifetime. Um, So, like, for instance, if you go back and look at all these different years, obviously you don't have the college football playoff rankings every year, which that is a big caveat because the rankings they do are very different than other polls, the coaches poll and the AP poll. The AP poll is a little bit closer, um, but we know they evaluate very much on resume, and that's different than some of the other polls that have been in the past years. You know, you compare that to the 1940s, and they're just basically sliding, slotting. You win, then you move up. You lose, you move down, you know. So in a 14 playoff, if you go back over the history of KU football, they have zero college football playoff appearances. 
If they would have expanded to eight, there would be two times KU would have college football playoff appearances. Now, again, we also don't really know what the rules would have been if there was an eight. But we do know with the proposed rules for the 12-team field that it is six teams, top six conference champions, and then six at-larges. Based on that, we know that KU would have made it four times since the invention of the AP poll, which was 1936. KU had some good years maybe in the early 1900s, but we'll just go back to the AP poll times because that's when we're able to tell where they're ranked. So from 1936 on, would have made it in 2008, would have been the nine seed that year taking on eight seed Missouri. That'd be interesting. Uh, 1968, I guess it depends how you would have seeded them that year. They could have also been the eight seed with nine seed West Virginia in 2008. Um, in 1968, they finished number six in the AP poll before the postseason, and they went to the Orange Bowl in 1968, so they would have made it that year, number six in the AP poll. 1960, they were number 10 headed into the postseason. They didn't make a bowl game that year, which that was just there were way less bowl games. You could finish number 10 in the country, and you weren't going bowling. Imagine that. You know, like we think of now, just, oh, just get six wins, just make a bowl game. You know, back in 1960, it was like, no. You got to get 10 wins. Like, 9 and 2 is not good enough. You got to go 10 and 1. Um, and then in 1995, they were number 11 in the AP poll, headed into the Aloha Bowl, which they ended up winning. So that's four times they would have made a 12 team field. And that might sound a bit bleak to say only four times when you look at like an Alabama and a Clemson and say, oh, well, they're going to four straight. You can only make it four times total. Four times in 85 years. That doesn't sound like a lot. And certainly among college football programs, that is at the lower end of the spectrum, I'm sure. But also, if I told you KU would make a 12-team playoff one in every 20 years, you would take that, right? Because that's what that would be. Four in 85, that's one in every 21 years. And I think you would take that. That's the cool thing about the playoff, being 12. It grants more access to the group of five, obviously, but it also grants more access to the KUs of the world who, if you can figure it out and have one of those once-in-a-generation, once-in-a-lifetime magical seasons, you know, this time you actually get a crack at a playoff and a title, which is pretty damn cool. And yes, it might not have the same allure to it at the end where you say, well, we won the Orange Bowl, as opposed to saying, no, we got crushed in the quarterfinals after we won the first game. But just winning that first playoff game would create really cool memories. And so it's about that. It's about teams like KU maybe having a little bit more of a shake. It's about the group of five having more of a shake. And it's about having a little bit more parity. Because you go back to the BCS, there were 16 BCS title games from 1998 to 2014. 32 teams playing for a title, essentially, right? If there's 16 games, two teams in each game, you had 32 teams competing for a title over the course of the BCS. Here's the teams that made it all. Tennessee, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Oklahoma, Miami, Nebraska, Ohio State, LSU, USC, Texas, Florida, Alabama, Auburn, Oregon, and Notre Dame. That was a lot of names on that list that we haven't heard even sniff a college football playoff appearance. That's 15 different schools, all the ones I named. 15 different schools over the course of 16 years of BCS title games. So 32 team slots over 16 years of BCS title games. 15 of them were new schools. On average, that's one newcomer a year. So basically, every year you were, on average, having 
a new team in the title. And for any year that you had two repeating teams in the title, you would have two new teams in the title the next year on average. That sounds like a world different from what we've had in the college football playoff. Just think about this. Over the course of the college football playoff, we've now had seven different playoffs to account for, which is 28 teams, right, competing for a title. So with 32 slots over 16 years in the BCS title, 28 teams over seven years with four slots each in the college football playoff. That Alabama six times. Oregon, Florida State, Ohio State four times, Clemson six times, Michigan State, Oklahoma four times, Washington, Georgia, Notre Dame two times, and LSU. That's 11 different schools over the course of seven years. Or if you look at it, that's 11 teams over the course of 28 different slots available. Whereas with the BCS, we had 15 over 32 slots available. It doesn't sound like that big of a difference, but it is. Because as soon as you add this year in there as well, guess what it's projected to be? Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson, maybe Georgia's in there. Like it, It's probably going to be four of those five. So you probably would end up after this year having 11 of 32. You would getting more representation in the BCS title game than you were in the college football playoff. You were getting more parity in the BCS title game than you were in the college football playoff. And the BCS wasn't perfect. There were a lot of flaws in the BCS. But I kind of think there's more flaws in the four-team playoff. I mean, if we're going to get more inclusion from the group of five, if we're going to get more inclusion from the lower tier power five teams, just every now and then your Indiana great season last year, or your not that they would have made it or last year, Northwestern had a great season. They lose to Ohio state in the big 10 top final, but if they win that game, now all of a sudden they're in the playoff. Those types of seasons deserve to be rewarded. And currently we're not seeing that happen. We weren't really seeing it happen in the BCS, but we were more so because of the fact that not only was there more parity of the teams competing for titles, but also there was the teams that if they had that magical season, they maybe got to go to an Orange Bowl. And that had a bigger ring to it when there was only the two teams in the title game and there was more attention to everything else. The 12-team playoff, I think, is going to be perfect. And like I said, I'm not going to say KU is going to make a college football playoff appearance by 2030 or anything. But again, on average, it's only four times. That's once every 21 years. And if you give me those numbers, okay, you make it a playoff appearance once every 20 years, I think I'd take that hands down. FM 1017, 1320 KLWNs, Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Phil Steele is going to join us coming up here in about five minutes. At on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson here and... Pleased to be joined by Phil Steele, which you know him of Phil Steele fame. That's right, because it's the Phil Steele magazine, which is as good as it gets in the college football preseason magazine world. And he's joined us the past couple of years. We're lucky to have him on again on today's show. Uh, I guess first things first, Phil, KU having to undergo a coaching change this late into the game. They do get a guy that a lot of people are excited about in Lance Leipold. I guess, what were your initial thoughts of the Leipold hire? And, I mean, do you think that much can be instituted in terms of change in the program over this short of a time? 
Uh, not in one year, no. Rome wasn't built in a day. But I can tell you, I am excited about the the hiring of Lance Leipold. You go back to Buffalo. Uh, you know, he came over from Wisconsin Whitewater, where he had done an amazing job. And his first two years at Buffalo, he was just he wasn't flashy. He was just building the team, and they they only went five and seven and two and ten. And then the third year, they got to six and six in a bowl game. And then all of a sudden, they pretty much turned into a dominant team. If you followed them, they ran the ball. They, no matter against who they played, they could run the football. Uh, they also played great defense. They had the special teams were top notch, and that's how they won their football games. Nothing flashy, but in his final year at Buffalo, uh, you know, last year they just flat out dominated opponents on a weekly basis. So I'm I'm excited about the late pull hire. I don't think if you're a Kansas fan, you should be expecting bowl game this year. Probably not even next year, but I think in the near future, you're going to see this Kansas program. Make a lot of improvement because I'm very high on their head coach. And I know last year obviously didn't go so well for the team when you lose every game you play in. But uh, one thing that Les Miles did leave on this roster was a bunch of former high school recruits. And um, they brought in all high school kids a season ago. And they brought in a ton over the previous two seasons as well. Do you think that's something that is going to allow for Leipold to kind of find success maybe by year three when some of those players are a little bit older? Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's exactly the type of situation you want to step in. I've talked to new head coaches who have stepped in to you know places where they've recruited JUCOs and they have a roster that's some seniors, some freshmen, and nothing in between. This roster was being built the right way by Les Miles, just recruiting the freshmen. And of course, last year all the true freshmen are still true freshmen, so you basically get an extra freshman class added in there. Uh, and I, I think it is the way to build it, and it's a very good situation for. Coach Leipold to step into. And like I said, without winning many games last year or any games, it's it's kind of hard to totally tell the answer to this, but do you look at this roster and what it is now and say this is maybe one of the more deep or talented rosters compared to some of the other ones? I know it's not necessarily a golden standard that you're comparing it to, but to some of the other KU teams of past years? Yeah, definitely. And in fact, I, I could say this, though. Uh, most of the teams in college football this year are as deep as they've been. And going talk, I talked to about 110 of the 130 head coaches out there, and almost everyone would tell me this story about spring. Hey, Phil, normally in spring practice, you know, we're trying to get a two deep together. This spring, I was running a three deep. So I mean, everybody in college <laughs> football right now is deep. But the good thing for Kansas's sake is a lot of those other teams are deep with seniors that are going to be going on. Kansas is built with freshmen throughout the lineup here, so those freshmen are going to be stuck sticking around for the next uh, three years, and so the depth of Kansas is going to prevail, I think, in future years. They also brought on some transfers, some coming over from Buffalo, joining Lance Leipold. They just brought on, uh, earlier this week, they got a commitment from uh, a transfer from Michigan as a linebacker position. Earlier this year, they got Jason Bean, quarterback from North Texas. H- how much do you think some of these transfers are, are going to impact the team this year? 
You know, I, I look at a guy like Mike Nowitzki at center, and uh, I think he's a guy that uh, could come in and and star right off the bat. He's a, a guy that was my first team Mac last season, uh, played well, knows the system, uh, and he's going to have to fight off a Notre Dame transfer, Colin Grunhardt. So I do like the transfers coming in. I, I think, you know, in the era of the transfer portal, you're going to lose some players, especially in a coaching change. And if you look at the players that Kansas lost, they did lose a bunch. But I like the transfers coming in to join with the freshmen, and I think they're in pretty good shape. And I think you lose some players on the transfer that you wish you didn't. Guys like Marcus Harris, DeJon Terry, uh, Karan Prunty, and you can see their talent level by the schools that they ended up at. Um, so what are some other young players that maybe people should be on the lookout for that you're excited to see what happens this year? Well, you know, start with the quarterback, Jalen Daniels. He's a guy that's got a cannon for an arm, uh, and he, he really flashed in spring ball. So I think he can step in, and, uh, you know, if he wins that starting quarterback job, I think he can have a, a pretty good year. I talked about Nowitzki, and then, you know, up front on the offensive line, you're looking at guys like Malik Clark and Earl Bostic, I think, are names that uh, maybe if inside the Kansas program you know about, but outside the Kansas program, not a lot of people know those names. Uh, I think they can step in and and do well this year. So I think there's good talent uh, throughout. You know, you got uh, a guy like Kyron Johnson or KJ uh, at the defensive end spot. He's got a nice twitch to him. I think he can get some sacks. And then they bring in Eddie Wilson, a 330-pound uh, nose guard from Buffalo. And I think when he steps into the picture, that's going to give them size and tenacity inside. Buffalo always had a great run defense, and I think he's, he's going to bring that effort level to uh, here as well. So uh, good young talent throughout the lineup uh obviously south dakota would be the most winnable game for ku and the over under has been set at one win for this team so if you're taking the over you need them to win one other game what do you think would be the most likely scenario there what's the one on the calendar that you say if you're kansas if you have to hit that over it's got to be this other team is it duke is it somebody else in conference yeah, I would say probably the Duke game would be the best chance. Duke's breaking in a new quarterback. Last year they were minus 19 in turnovers, and that really hurt them. They're a better team than their two-win record would indicate, and they're tough at home. But uh – they have a brand-new quarterback. It's early in the season, and I think that would be a potential win there. As far as the Big 12 games go, you know, at least they're playing teams like Baylor, Texas Tech, Kansas State, all ones that I have from this, the bottom half of the division. If Kansas lives up to some of the talent that they have and they play better than their experience level, uh, they could snag one of those, but it would really surprise me if they did bag a Big 12 win this year. We're talking with Phil Steele. I mean, how much of a jump – is there to be had for this team? I know typically one of the cool things in your magazine is you'll go over some of that turnover differential and the close game scores and how that sometimes kind of reverts to the mean one way or another in a lot of cases. Is there anything there for KU that would make you think, well, maybe they can be a little bit better this year, or is there still kind of a, a wall that they need to break through of, well, you got to be more competitive before you can get to that point? Yeah, I think when you look at them last year, there wasn't a lot of close losses. They had won all year, and that was against Texas Tech in the season final. And also, turnovers weren't a major problem last year. They were only minus four in turnovers. And then one factor I always look at, which tells you a little bit about the gap you have to make up, and that's the yards per game in conference play. And Kansas was minus 231 yards per game in conference play. So that's a, that's a big gap to overcome. Bringing in a, a new head coach after spring practice is over, a new coordinator, 
coordinators on both sides of the ball, that's not a dream scenario for any team. Uh, it's almost like uh, being last year, first year head coach with no spring practice. Now, the good news is they did retain their interim head coach, Emmett Jones, got to talk to Coach Jones and Coach Leipold, uh this spring going over the team with them, which was good to, you had one guy that had been there, and then, of course, you had Coach Leipold who was running the show. So it was a good conversation for both of them. But uh, I think Kansas has some ground to make up this year, uh, and maybe the gap was a little too big. We're talking with Phil Steele. I, I do want to get into some more macro stuff as well um, from kind of a Big 12 perspective. Obviously, Oklahoma favored again to win the conference, although Iowa State kind of on their heels. Uh, is this maybe Lincoln Riley's best chance at winning a title from the teams he's had so far because of maybe the improvements on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, you hit it right on the head there, Derek. And it's it's clearly the defense to go along with the offense. Let's keep in mind, last year he had a freshman quarterback, Spencer Rattler. And Rattler struggled at times early. In fact, he got benched against Texas. But then once he uh, – I like the way he responded to getting benched. He bounced back and, and had a much, much better finish to the season. They had in a player like uh, Caleb Williams, who's a dangerous runner at that quarterback spot. They returned a 1,000-yard rusher from 2019 who opted out last year in Kenny Brooks bringing a Tennessee transfer in Eric Gray. they got my number one rated offensive line in the country. Number two set of receivers, yes, it's your usual potent Lincoln-Riley offense. But you hit it right on the head. The defense is what really has me thinking they can take home that national title this year. Because the, the first three years that they made the playoff under Riley, they get to the playoff and the defense was average. Well, now they have an above-average defense. In fact, I rate them the number five defense in the country. They have my number three rated defensive line, number nine set of linebackers, and number three DBs. And if you take that defense, and put it along with that offense. And here's the other factor I looked at, is last year in the playoff, there were four teams. Uh, all four of those teams are rather inexperienced this year, whereas everybody in college football returns 15, 16, 17 starters. None of those four do, and they all lose their starting quarterback. Oklahoma's got 15 returning starters and their starting quarterback and that improved defense, and that had me calling for Oklahoma to actually break through and win their first national title since 2000. I love that. That's bold. We didn't go with the the Clemson or Alabama there. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or Ohio State. Yeah, that too. Uh, so, how far, I guess, do you think that leap is from Iowa State to Oklahoma? Iowa State's actually pretty close. And, you know, Matt Campbell's doing a phenomenal job building this team, and he is by far his most experienced team coming back. Remember last year they had an inexperienced offensive line, but by year's end they were a semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award. This year he says that this is the deepest offensive line that he's had here and has a chance to be really special. You put that together along with a veteran quarterback like Brock Purdy, one of the best running backs in the country, and Brees Hall, excuse me, the best tight end room in the country with Chase Allen and Charlie Kolar a dangerous wide receiver in Xavier Hutchinson, a defense that's led by Mike Rose at linebacker and my number two linebacking core in the country. And Iowa State beat Oklahoma in the regular season last year, gave them a test in the title game as well, or 20 returning starters for Iowa State. I think they are a threat to Oklahoma, but they do have to play them in Norman uh, on November the 20th. Uh, as far as if a team were to you know, spoil that Oklahoma-Iowa State rematch in the Big 12 title game. Which team do you think would be most poised at? Because when I look at the Big 12, it seems like, man, you could say if, if Tier one's Oklahoma, Tier two's Iowa State, or maybe they're in the same tier together, and then it almost feels like that next tier of teams, like teams three through six or three through seven, uh, somewhere around there in the Big 12, you could convince me that anybody finishes in any place 
in that third through seventh range. So I guess which of those teams in, in kind of the third to the middle range of the Big 12 do you think maybe has the highest ceiling or, or the best potential to knock out an Iowa State possibly to face Oklahoma in the Big 12? Yeah, I'd say the team that uh, probably has the highest ceiling is uh, Texas. And uh, the reason is this. Uh, they do have a first-year head coach. But when I talked to Coach Sarkeesian when I was going over the team with them, he likes the talent he inherited there, both offensively and defensively. And, you know, I had said last year when they were getting ready to fire Tom Herman, I said, you know, this team's three plays away from being 10-0. and You go back to that TCU game last year, they fumble at the goal line at the end of the game or they score the winning touchdown. Oklahoma's a four-overtime game, change one play, and uh, Texas wins that. The Iowa State game they led start to finish last year. Uh, Iowa State took its first lead with about two minutes left and ended up beating them by three. Other than that, you change one play in each of those three games, and they're a 10-0 team last year. That was my thought process coming in, and ironically, Coach Sarkeesian was saying how happy he was at the talent, and then said to me, Phil, we were three plays away from being 10-0 last year. So I was like, wow. <laughs> and so he's confident that they can play to that level this year. My biggest question mark with Texas is quarterback. I mean, Sam Ellinger was a great leader, someone that could take that team and have them come from behind. Now you're dealing with either Hudson Carter or Casey Thompson, two very talented quarterbacks, but we haven't seen them on game day. Will they be up there with the, what Sam Ellinger was able to do? But like I said, Sarkeesian was very happy with the talent he inherited. What about some players to watch out for in the conference? Obviously, we know the names of Spencer Rattler and a lot of quarterbacks. I'm, I'm going to limit your answers to non-quarterbacks uh, just for the sake of this. Uh, are there any players that stick out in your mind that you know, if, if you're just scrolling through the channel on a Saturday and you're like, well, I, I want to see this exciting player that you want to watch from somebody in the Big 12. Well, I tell you, the one guy I really enjoyed watching last year was Deuce Vaughn at Kansas State. I mean, uh, Deuce Vaughn basically won. They, they went 4-1 and one in their first five games, and it's because of Deuce Vaughn's running ability, receiving ability, return ability, uh, really a fun player to watch, and he can take it to the house uh, anytime he has it. Another guy that not a lot of folks, uh, I mean, he only had a couple hundred yards last year, and that is Zach Evans. And Zach Evans was my number one rated running back coming out of high school Last year, he got worked in slowly into the lineup, and he didn't originally sign at TCU. He took a long path to get there from a couple other programs, but got to TCU, got acclimated to it, and really came on at the end of the season. Rushed for 7.7 yards per carry. I think now with a full season uh, under Gary Patterson's coaching, you're going to see a, a player like Zach Evans emerge uh, at the running back spot. As far as receivers go, I got my eyes on Xavier Hutchinson, Iowa State. Uh, Coach Campbell is very high on him. Feels that he's going to be a dynamic receiver. And if you're defending Iowa State, you got to be worried about their tight ends, Chase Allen and Charlie Kolar. That could open it up for some big plays for Xavier Hutchinson. So those are probably be three guys that if you're looking for excitement on the offensive side of the ball, check those guys out. And defensively, you know, I think Oklahoma's got the pass rushers. You look at Isaiah Thomas uh, last year. Thomas uh, had himself eight sacks. I think Thomas is capable of exerting a lot of pressure on the, uh, the the defensive line this year for Oklahoma and would be one of the more exciting players to watch. We're talking with Phil Steele for just another moment here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, I know I brought up the kind of title race, and you mentioned Oklahoma. Uh, currently, there are, I believe, five teams um, in single-digit odds to win the title. Outside of that, everybody is 25-1 to 1 or more. So these are teams like Texas A&M, Wisconsin, LSU, Florida, Notre Dame, uh, Miami, Penn State, Iowa State, Texas, North Carolina, Oregon. The list goes on and on and on. If I were to ask you 
to give a, I don't know, kind of an underdog bet, a dark horse title bet. Um, is there a team that, whether it's from the Big 12 or outside in another conference, um, that you think would be maybe, maybe a good value bet there? I'm going to give you two. Uh, the first one is from the SEC, Texas A&M. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's been doing an amazing job recruiting. They have four great recruiting classes piled in on each other. Going over the team with Coach Fisher, we get to the third team, and I'm like, wow, this guy's third string. They are a very deep team. And your biggest question mark with A&M is offensive line and quarterback. And I understand those questions, but talking to Coach Fisher and going over the team with him, he feels this year's offensive line is more talented than last year's offensive line. Last year's offensive line was a Joe Moore finalist. They're not as experienced, but they'll have five games to Together before they play Alabama in College Station. And last year when they played Alabama, they lost by 28, but they were only three or four plays away in the first half from actually being tied or leading that thing. They just had the plays go against them. If they can get those plays in their favor at home, I think they're dangerous. And watch Haynes King at quarterback. He's dynamic. And then if you're looking for a real long shot, I'm going to go with the Washington Huskies. Nobody's talking about Washington. Won't even be favored to win their own division, for crying out loud. Oregon will be the pick in the Pac-12 North. But when I look at Washington, I see a team with a mammoth offensive line, deep set of running backs, outstanding tight ends, veteran quarterback, and Jimmy Lake always has a great defense. And the last two years, he's only had two and six returning starters. So this year, he's got eight starters back on defense. And then their schedule sets up well. They avoid USC and Utah out of the South. The toughest two Pac-12 games are Oregon and Arizona State. They get them both at home. And I tell you what, Husky Stadium is going to be jumping this year. All home crowds are going to be really intense. Toughest road game at Michigan, at Stanford, all in the winnable category. Washington's got a chance of running the table this year, and odds on them are probably closer to I don't know, about 50 or 100 to 1. He is Phil Steele. Phil, uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can get your magazine and all your uh, great content? Hey, I appreciate that, Derek. And by the way, I appreciate you having me on on the first day of your new show here. Uh, but when for the magazine, it's 352 pages. And guys, it's like getting 130 different media guides rolled into one, except it's even better because all the information's on the same spot on every page for every team. And we give you two full pages of coverage on Kansas, or let's even say UL Monroe or Akron that we do on Oklahoma and Alabama. And it's quick, easy reference that you'll use the entire season. Now, it's only available this year at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. So if you have a Barnes & Noble or Books A Million in the area, make sure you head there. Don't waste your gas driving around to other spots. Barnes & Noble, Books A Million exclusively, or you can go to the website, which is Phil Steele. That's S-T-E-E-L-E.com. PhilSteele.com. You can order the magazine direct. And that's get the hard copy or the, uh, the one that you get on your computer as well. He's Phil Steele. Thanks again for joining us. Hey, thanks, Derek. A lot of fun talking football with you today. And Kansas football at that. First show this year doing that. <laughs> and I'm sure it'll be the last as well. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Derek. All right. Phil Still joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.